Bless the Lord. So uh, in our Torah portion today, there are a lot of choices. In society today, there's a lot of debate about choice. In this Torah portion, there's a lot of talk about choice. There's something that I found very unusual about our Torah portion this week. Now, we're in the book of Deuteronomy. As we're approaching the end of the Jewish year, we're in Deuteronomy. After Sukkot, we start, it starts again with Genesis, the book of Genesis, Bereshit. And as we are in the last sections of the Torah, um, God gives specific instructions through Moses on what the Israelites needed to do once they get into the land. So now that we're at the end of the Torah story, we start to see the dividing up of the land, where the tribes are going to be within the land, what the boundaries are, things like that. And one thing that I noticed is that God is very, very specific when it comes to geography. He's very precise geographically. When he establishes the boundaries of Israel, he's precise. He doesn't leave it open-ended. He even speaks about future boundaries of Israel, and he's precise about that too. He's precise about where all the tribes are going to be within the land. He gives everybody their spot, numbers the people, very, very precise. In fact, some of those verses, most people would find the most boring sections in Scripture because it's very, very mathematical and numeric, and these are the amount of people that are going to be here. He's very specific about where the Levites are going to be. They're going to be in specific cities, and this is where the cities are going to be. And then the cities of refuge are going to be here, and then over across the river, they're going to be over here. He's very, very specific about geography. He is precise, geographically precise. But there's one important piece of geography that he leaves unclear and open to a future fulfillment. He's so specific about everything. But we learn in this Torah portion, there's one bit of geography that he doesn't say anything about, and that is where his home is going to be, where the temple's going to be, where the tabernacle's going to be, where his presence is going to be. Very specific. Judah, you're going to stay here. And Zebulun, you're going to stay here. And Naphtali, you're going to be over here. And the Levites are going to be over here. But when it comes to his own house, he says, you shall seek the place that the Lord, your God, will choose. In other words, he doesn't tell you where it's going to be. He doesn't say Jerusalem or anything. What are you laughing at? Why is this funny? Am I being funny? I'm not being funny. Am I being funny? The place your God, Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. That's the temple. There you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. So the place the Lord your God will choose. In other words, I'm not telling you where it's going to be now. You're going to find out later. It's almost like the Lord himself is on like an Abrahamic faith journey. Because it's very similar, the way I see it, in how God told Abraham to move. 
It's like you can go from here, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go and where you're going to land until you're there. Just go. And it's almost like he's giving himself a faith journey. I know this is not really what it is, but it's almost like he's giving himself a journey of faith, saying, I'm not telling you where it's going to be. I'll tell you later. He leaves it, the place of his temple, his dwelling, he leaves as a, as a Torah cliffhanger. I am not trying to be funny. Will you stop laughing? He calls it the place the Lord God will choose. He leaves it open-ended. In fact, in this Torah portion, there are 16 times that he mentions the temple in the future once they're in the land, and every time he calls it the place that I will choose. The place that I will choose. I will choose it. I will choose it. He doesn't mention Jerusalem or anything. And we know that the tabernacle itself was a mobile home. It was a mobile home. It was a mobile home. Anybody live in mobile homes? It's a mobile home. Well, you live in a similar type of place that God lived, if you live in a mobile home. Because God lived in a mobile home. The tabernacle was mobile. And we see it being mobile after they took the land. For instance, when Joshua took the land towards the end of the book of Joshua, it landed in Shiloh. That's where it wound up being. And actually, that wound up being a station for several hundred years. That's actually in Samaria, in the area of, or in the tribal area of Ephraim. It was there. But then we see, like, the, even though the tabernacle was there, we see the ark is on the move also because the children of Israel took the ark on wars and other missions and things like that. So we see it in the book, end of the book of Judges. We see the ark in Bethel. Remember, it's mobile. It's a mobile home. So we see it in Bethel. This is the time in Judges when uh, there was actually a civil war and all the tribes of Israel came against the one tribe of Benjamin. And we even see in that section that the high priest of that time was Pinchas, Phineas, the same Phineas from the Torah with the spear. So we learn at the end of Judges in this chapter that Phineas actually remained high priest for all that time. He was still high priest, even all the way through the end of the, that time of the book of Judges. So it's interesting to see one of the characters of the Torah find his way all the way you know, deeper into the, into the Bible. We see it in Nob or, or Nova. This is where David ate the showbread. We know that story. Yeshua even mentioned that story. We see the ark in Kiryat Yarim. This is when David decided to bring the ark into Jerusalem, into a tent. And this is when it got wobbly and somebody touched it and God zapped him. We know that story, and David said, I'm not doing that again. And it wound up going into the home of this guy, this dude named Obed-Edom. So that's where it went there. And then he said, okay, I'm going to figure this out. Only the Levites can do it. So he had this big party having the ark go into a tent, the tent of David, Mishkan David. That's, by the way, where we get our name from, the tent that David set up where the ark went in. And then eventually... Uh, the tabernacle was still, even though the ark was in David's tent, uh, the rest of the tabernacle was in Gibeon, and then eventually it wound up in the temple that Solomon built. I hope somebody found it interesting. That was a, so it's a mobile home. It was a mobile home. So this is why he said, this is the, this is the place that I will choose. I will choose. He didn't say it up front that it's going to wind up in Jerusalem. But there's another choice in this same Torah portion. 16 times it says, I'm going to put my home in the place that I will choose. I will put my home, 
my presence, my dwelling in the place that I will choose. Two or three of you know where I'm going with this. Because there's another choice that's mentioned in this Torah portion. There's a lot of choice in this Torah portion. And after 16 times saying, I'm going to put my residence in a place that I will choose, in this same Torah portion, he says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people, out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. So those who are wonder where the, the liturgy that we do, the Torah liturgy, gets some of its wording when we say, blessed are you, Lord our God, who has chosen us from all people and given us his Torah. We get it from this. It's in the Bible. It's where the Jewish people call themselves the chosen people. This is actually the verse where it comes from. But the Lord has chosen you, and I believe that he kept it open-ended because there's something prophetic even beyond where the temple is going to be, that his spirit, that his presence is going to dwell in his people. The Lord has chosen you. This is very consistent with what Yeshua said. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And that kind of twists evangelism on its head a little bit. I'm not even sure where to go with that one because I kind of feel like I accepted the Lord at some point in my life that I chose to do that. But it's saying here, in some way, he chose me. And I think we can get a little comfort from that, all of us. Like, he chose Barbara. He chose Barbara. He chose Carrie. He chose Mark. He chose Paula. He chose Sarah. He chose Brian number one over there. Miguelito. He chose. He chose you. And be encouraged by that. That he he chose you like before the foundations of the world, when he saw you before you were knitted in your mother's womb, he says, Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my residence in that one. I'm gonna make my residence in that daughter and that son. In Nanny, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. And this is so consistent, right? It's consistent what we see. Paul wrote, you're the temple of God. You're the temple of God. So we see God in this Torah portion saying, I'm not going to, the place that I choose, I'm going to make my dwelling. I'm not going to tell you it's Jerusalem. I'm not going to tell you it's Shiloh. I'm not going to tell you it's in the house of Obed-Edom, whoever that guy is. But I chose you. And we see a fulfillment in this, in his spirit living within us, his spirit living within you, that you were chosen for this. You were chosen for this. You were chosen for this. This is even why Yeshua said when he was dealing with the Samaritan, and she said, our ancestors were worshipped here in Samaria. That's Shiloh, by the way. And then, but the Jews, they worship in Jerusalem. And Yeshua said, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither here in Samaria or in Jerusalem, meaning everywhere. That means his spirit is going to be, his presence is going to be in you, and you're going to be all over the world. His glory is going to fill the whole earth. And one way he's going to do that is just putting his spirit into his people. And he chose you for that purpose. So you may be asking yourself, like, why? Like, why did he choose me? Like, why did he choose me? Like, Paula may think of herself and like, yeah, I know why God chose me. Like, she may know. 
She's like, yeah, I got some books to write, kiddo. I know why God chose me, but so many people would be like, I don't know why God chose me. I don't have anything to offer. I have a bad past. I come from a bad family. I don't know what I have to offer. But be blessed and be encouraged that God knew all that. He said before the foundations of the world, I chose you. I chose to be within you. And why? Like, why? Why did he choose you? You can answer that for an, an eternity. You can ask it and answer it for all eternity. The scripture gives a couple of answers, and I'm going to show you some of the answers. You are a chosen people. This is Peter talking. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why are you a chosen people? That you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why when you say, why does he want to choose me? Why did he choose me? My past is full of darkness. So you can proclaim how he took you out of it. That's why. That's why he had you in the darkness to begin with. And he put himself in you. And now you are chosen. Why? So you can proclaim his excellence. The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. This is about sharing your testimonies. This is about testimonies. He chose you for a testimony. For an amazing testimony. A testimony that's just yours. But it has, the same sim- it has that similarity. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why he chose you to proclaim that. And show the world that God is good. Because of what he did to me. Why did he chose you? I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. I always go back to what is fruit. And it ain't apples and oranges and pears and kumquats. And artich, that's a vegetable, young lady. I think. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Share this all the time. There's nine of them. I'm not going to let you go until you get all nine. I, I guess you got it all right. Why did he chose I chose you. Why? I chose you that you should bear fruit, that you should bear love, that you should bear joy that you should bear patience, that you should bear kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. This is why he chose you. He chose you to proclaim his excellency and how he called you out of darkness to bear spiritual fruit. Why did he choose you? He chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So we choose righteousness and we don't choose sin. As are other choices we have to make. There's another choice in this Torah portion. We see him calling the place of his dwelling a future place, a place I will choose. And then we see him in the same Torah portion saying, I chose you. And why did he choose us? In a way, so we could make good choices. 
in this same Torah portion, a lot of choice in this Torah portion. We see, I see set before you like was read, a blessing and a curse. And of course, that's related to its sister verse later on in Deuteronomy. I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, what? Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. And the good news, because he dwells within you, he doesn't leave you on your own to choose the right thing. He gives us his presence. He gives us the Holy Spirit. It says to guide us into all truth. We're not left alone to do it ourselves. We have the Ruach HaKodesh within us to guide us to make the right choices in our lives. And I read, I think it was Psychology Today or something like that. I think they estimated, you're not going to believe it. Like, how many choices do we make in a day? And I'm talking micro choices that might be happening subconsciously also. Anybody have any thoughts? What's that? So, oh, wow, okay, several million. I can't beat that. Psychology Today estimates 35,000 choices a day. I, mean, I don't know if it's true or not, or what defines a choice versus just an instinct, instinctive reaction. But we make a lot of choices over the course of the day. Do I wake up or do I hit the snooze button? Do I have my coffee before I go to the bathroom or do I go to the bathroom before my coffee? What do I have for breakfast? Do I make my wife coffee? Do I make her breakfast? Do I make the bed or do I not leave the bed made today? Do I go to work on time or do I not? Do I surf the web or do I do so or do I read the Bible? Do I, you know, we make choices constantly. Constantly we make choices. Choose life is what God tells us to do. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us to choose life. To make good choices. And honestly, nobody's exempt from that. Like even the people of the world that don't have the Holy Spirit within them. There's one place in Romans that says that they have a conscience. Like God gave them a conscience. It says that their conscience, conscience testifies and their thoughts alternatively accusing or defending them. Meaning they're conscious. They have something already in them that kind of says, this is right, this is wrong. Like nobody is exempt from judgment. Even people of the world have a conscience. You know, animals don't have a conscience. God's kids all around the world, we have a conscience. He gave us a conscience. Animals don't have a conscience. All they act on is instinct. Like my cat. Like, for instance, like my wife, Sue, has a conscience. She would never wake me up at three in the morning so I can feed her. Why? Because she has a conscience and the Holy Spirit. My cat has neither. So he wakes me up at three in the morning to be fed and doesn't care if I'm sleeping. That cat has no conscience. He doesn't care. He's wicked. He's evil. Pray for my cat. But the sons and daughters of God have a conscience. And the people of God have his spirit to make good choices. You know, I put this on Facebook because I wanted a little help. Because choosing life over death 
or blessing over curse is something we experience all the time. Over the course of every day, we have the opportunity in our choices to choose life. Now, obviously, in the basic, pure, plain sense of what God says when it says, I set before you blessing and curse and life and death, choose life and not death. Obviously, he's saying, don't sin. That's the basic. That's the basic. Choose righteousness over sin. That's the basics of it. But there's so many areas where we can choose life. And I was thinking about it myself on how to choose life over death. I choose focus over distraction. Choose life. See, we choose the right thing. And this, I believe that distraction is one of the ways that the enemy is really getting to the people these days. Like there is a spirit, an evil demon of distraction that's all around, especially with the social media. And it keeps our, you know, mind and our, and our eyes focused on our phones and all these apps and things like that. And I'm so grateful that Michael, let's give some props to Michael who made us an Instagram account just the other day. But at this point, I don't like it. None of you people are on it, number one. I get much more traction on Facebook. You all are on Facebook. Nobody really is on Instagram. And it's showing me all this stuff that it's assuming that I like. And God forbid I look at something for more than three seconds, it's going to assume I like it and show me more of it. I don't know we even know where you guys are going with this. Here's a good scripture verse about distraction. You got the Martha and Mary, or Martha and, and Miriam. Martha, you worried and distracted by many things, but there's one thing that's essential. Miriam, or Mary, has chose, chosen, chosen, chosen the right thing, and it won't be taken away from her. Like, I have to deal with this. Like, people know that I'm attempting to write a book about the, answering the Jewish objections to Jesus. But I just found a really cool solitaire game. And the fight against distraction is real. So, <laughs> I haven't played Wordle in a long time. I think I got bored of that one. Choose focus. What do we want to focus on? Focus on the things of the kingdom and not be distracted by the things of the world. What else do we choose? How do we choose life over death? Choose peace over retaliation. When we're hurt, when we're offended, we have an opportunity to choose life. Blessed are the peacemakers. We always have that opportunity when we're offended. When somebody goes, us up, goes up us sideways, how we respond, that's choice.
Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Do we choose not to get in the ring even if somebody wants to? Or do we get in the ring? That's a choice. Getting in the ring doesn't always work out well. What else do we choose? Choose trust over control. Control is something that we all sometimes have to deal with. Are we controlling a situation, especially when something is not going our way? Do we try to make it happen on our own? Do we take over the scenario and the situation? Or do we say, I'm not going to put my fingerprint on this. I'm going to let God put his fingerprint on it. It may take a while, but I'm going to trust in his plans and not try, to, not try to execute this thing or manipulate myself. That's a hard one. But may we recognize when like the spirit of control is taken over. Because it's a spirit. And let's recognize that. Like, okay, I'm, this is a control thing, so I'm going to back off. And I'm going to let God be God. This is a way we can choose life. How else can we choose? Oh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So this is really hard, like to not lean on our own understanding. Like we're thinking beings. But God says, don't lean on what you think you know. I have a better plan. And it may take time to get there. But somebody once said here, I saved the best for last. So hang in there and trust. What else do we choose? Choose prayer over impulse. Do we react impulsively or do we take it to God for prayer? Don't be anxious about anything. You know why I like the don't be anxious or be anxious for nothing verse where it says in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. You know why I like that verse so much? Because it assumes that there's something going on that's making you anxious. The prayer that you're supposed to live up to God, lift up to God with thanksgiving, is something that's worrying you. It acknowledges that stuff happens that worries us, that makes us concerned, that makes us anxious. Do we take that and do we act impulsively from it, or do we give it up to God in prayer? You know, I, there was a little correction that came to me at our last Havara, and let me explain what happened. So me, people may not know that Susie and I are going to Europe in about a week, in a week and a day. It's our 25th wedding anniversary, and we're going to Europe. And I will be here. We will be here this coming Shabbat, one week from today, but the two Shabbats after, we won't be here. We're going to be in Europe celebrating. We're flying out a week from tomorrow. And I was at the Havara, and I was like, yeah, I was supposed to go to Europe, but then again, you know, there might be nuclear fallout in that nuclear power plant there in Ukraine that Russia took over. And wouldn't you know it, probably, when would it happen? Of course it would happen when we're supposed to be in Europe on vacation. Because if there's a nuclear fallout, of course the most important thing is our vacation. Anyway, so I spoke about that, and then Miss Val goes, no, 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 don't say that. Pray it. Pray about it. Lift it up. Don't speak it. Don't say it. Pray it. Don't say it. Pray it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, because you know, things that we're concerned about or worry about happen. And I think it's a little unreasonable to say, like, well, just don't say it. 
But you can pray it. You can pray it. Bring it to God. That puts it under a level of holiness and covering. There's one thing to say, you know, I'm worried there's going to be a nuclear fallout. It's going to disrupt my vacation. There's another thing to say, you know, I'm worried about nuclear fallout, and it's going to disrupt my vacation. So, Father, I just lift up this war to you. I lift up what's happening in Ukraine to you. I lift up this volatile situation in that nuclear power plant. May there, be, may there not be a disaster there, and may you bring this, this, this horrible incident to end, Lord God, in your will, in your timing, in your way. And I lift it up, and I cover it, and I cover our vacation in Yeshua's name. Both. You're allowed to be honest about the things, but with everything, lift up your anxieties to God. With thanksgiving, do you choose prayer or impulse? Amen. Amen. And this one is one of my faves. Choose empathy over judgment. Because we don't, we've never walked in other people's shoes. And it's very easy to judge them. And it's very easy to fill in those blanks with all these different things. And make an assumption that's probably wrong. But choose empathy. And one of my favorite life verses is from Hebrew, Hebrews that says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are yet without sin. So in other words, whatever we're going through, the weaknesses we have, the sins that we struggle with, all the things, the addictions that we have, addictions, we have a Messiah who's a high priest who's like, yep, I relate to that. Yeah, I've been that. Yeah, I'm a drug addict. Yeshua is going, yeah, me too. Yeah, I was sexually promiscuous. Yeshua is going, yeah, me too. Because he took all that, he took that on himself. There's nothing that we're going through that he doesn't sympathize with. He was tempted in all these things, but he didn't sin. And this tells me that Yeshua relates to everything we're going through. Everything we're going through. I was abused growing up as a kid. Yeshua was like, yeah, me too. Me too. So empathy. And this is another one of my life ones. Progress over perfection. Perfection is the enemy of progress. Taking a step towards perfection is always holy. Don't be discouraged that you're not there yet. Progress over perfection. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord in a mirror, are being transformed into that same image, not immediately, from glory to glory. That is a holy walk. That's our walk with the Lord. Be encouraged by your progress and don't be disappointed by your progress. Don't let that you've not reached perfection disappoint you because guess what you ain't going to reach it you'll be perfected in the kingdom until then it's a journey towards it and be encouraged by the little progress you made you can't quit smoking i get it but you know what if you're able to do one cigarette less per day progress take it and rejoice bless the lord so i put on facebook like i said and i just want to give honor to those who answered so I put on Facebook the question. It's like, if we're going to choose life over death or blessing over curse, what are other ways we can do it? So I just want to give some props. Is that the right expression? 
It is good enough. Okay. You guys aren't laughing as much as you used to, as you were. Some of these people I don't even know. Tessa Mason, I choose light over darkness. Mark Cipriano, I choose discipline over chaos. Emily Stanton, light over darkness, obedience over disobedience, truth over emotion, a virtuous woman over the harlot. Veronica said that Trinity said good over evil, meaning nice over bad. Eddie said peace over war. Adonai over the world. Forgiveness over revenge. Tessa continued, I choose God over Satan. Faith over fear. Love over hate. Linda Mead said, I choose hope over despair. Batya Carol said, love over hate. Unity over division. That's a great way to choose life. Sarah, I choose relationships that speak life and love into our lives over those that speak death and curses. Amen to that. Valuable, faith over fear, his word over what we see. This is a good one. Responding, I choose responding over reacting. Mercy over judgment. Michelle said kindness over meanness. Elena, love over hate. Boaz said, enough of this, I need food. He does have his own Facebook account. Victoria said, eyes to see over useless eyes. Gail, let me get to it. It's a paragraph. Yep, I choose life over disease. Paraphrasing. Bob gave an amazing testimony. John Glavick, sobriety, I choose sobriety over addiction. The hard road over the easy way out. Is this awesome? Humility over self-glorification. His word at face value over man's idea of it. The day God said to remember and keep over the day man tried, man tried to make and keep. Being a fool for his glory over being wise in my own eyes. That is awesome. Myra Tracy Walker said, I choose freedom for my best friend in Turkey in prison, in the prison he's in with no sentence for over two years. So, Father, we lift up this, this man to you in Yeshua's name. Kay Addison, peace over fear, trust over fear. Star sales. I don't know many of these people. Fear over faith. Carrie Perry, who I miss, e missy. I wish she was heery heery. Confidence over anxiety. Linda Patinod, 
forgiveness over grudges. And Elaine is a paragraph. Ah. Faith over fear, but not in the worldly way, like brave human bravery over fear. Faith over fear. God's way. Susie Lynette, I choose action over apathy, humility over pride. I choose moving forward over running away. Garrick Jenkins, I choose liberty over legalism, prosperity over poverty, charity over criticism. I appreciate all the alliterations. Mary Alice Russo, forgiveness over anger. Bot Rivka Witten, many have met her at the conference. I choose letting it go over getting offended. Jan Christensen, I choose forgiveness over bitterness. Mark Cipriano again, I choose a disciplined life over an undisciplined life. Elizabeth King, love over fear. And then in our new Instagram account, let's hear it from Michael. <laughs> Hold on. I think we got a few. Tammy, I choose health over sickness. I choose love over hate. And I choose Susie's ice cream over veggies. <laughs> Gloria. And Devorah Lever. I choose joy over fear. Thank you, Adonai. Baruch Hashem. Yeah. Amen. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, hallelujah. Father, help us out tonight to make the right choices. Help us out tonight to choose life in all the different times and areas that we choose. Lord, have mercy. You know where I, I got I to gotta, I, I lift it up in my struggle with distraction? Distracted driving. Because I got that phone on my cradle, and when those notifications come up, Lord, have mercy. That ain't choosing life, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's I'm not driving on the anniversary up in Europe. So, Father, help us to make the right choices, Lord God. We learned in this Torah portion that you kept it a mystery where you're going to put your name, where you're going to put your presence. And then we learn later on that you put your presence in us because you chose us. And now that you chose us, Adonai, we have the blessing of having you within us to help us make the right choices. Help us, Adonai, as we go about to make holy, good choices. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen.